several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. I'm in such a good mood this week because I have two of my favorite people on today. We are going to get into a really fun topic in just a little while. Haven't been down this road in a really long time. Amy Riley is with us today by phone. If you've been a longtime listener to Grape Encounters Radio, you know Amy is the most renowned expert on the aphrodisiac qualities found in wine and also food. She's got a brand new book coming out. We're going to jump in with Amy pretty quick, but somebody else that hasn't been on for a while, he's one of my best buds in the wine business. It is Chris Kern here. This guy has done so many things and still continues to do so many interesting things, and he is in the studio with me today. And first of all, Chris, Happy New Year Happy New Year to you too, David. Thank you so much for having me back on. Let's get people up to date on what you're doing. Okay, first of all, I met you when you started, you had a website called The Forgotten Grape. And, And it wasn't just a website, but you have a whole routine that you do with The Forgotten Grape. You still do that. I do. We actually have a wine club as well, ForgottenGrapes.com. You can check that out. I have always had so much fun with you with The Forgotten Grape because this is where you explain grape varietals by comparing the varietal to people in pop culture. Is it people that are not just in pop culture? It's pop culture icons. It's uh, literary characters, fictional characters, you name it. Politicians, whatever. Yeah. The beauty is there are you know over 5,000 different varietals that are being grown out there. It's really fun to be able to pick up on a specific characteristic of those varietals and find the perfect pop culture match to help people really better understand what that grape is all about and what drinking that wine is going to be like when you know what it encompasses. There's a a huge connection between personality and the different, not just types of varietals, but also styles of winemaking, etc. And if you understand a person's personality, I've always said this, you can pick out a wine for them. Oh, absolutely. And I know that there are several wine shops out there across the country that do that entirely, where they focus on you, your mood, your likes, and pair the wine for you. I do it here all the time next door at the Grape Encounters Emporium. In fact, people come from long distances to go through this little exercise. I just call it 20 questions. I I get to ask you 20 questions about yourself. None of them can can be about wine, because that would be easy. Of course. And then after, you know, you answer, sometimes I I can get it in six or eight questions with some people, Mm -hmm. but it's questions like, you know, what kind of car do you drive? Mm -hmm. If I turned on your radio right now, 
now in your car, what would be on? Always a good no, question. just th- things like that. Anyway, the Forgotten Grape, and then you have got a podcast that is very cool, and people have got to tune into it. It is called One Bourbon, One Shard, One Beer. Yes, One Bourbon, One Shard, or One Beer. It is the first and only musical drinking game show. As we like to say, music plus drinking plus game show equals America. What is it about? How does Absolutely. it work? Absolutely. So my co-host Stubb and I, whenever each of us is in the umpire's chair, we put together a playlist of seven songs, and then our special guest and the other co-host have to determine whether each song is a wine song, a beer song, or a spirit song, and what the specific libation is that goes with that. And you know that this is one of my strengths. And you've not even invited me on the show because you know I will I will kick some butt. We were saving you for season two because oh, yeah. season one was all about working out the kinks and really building the flow. And then the season, kinks, look at that. You threw in a, a musical dancing, reference right there. Okay, exactly. all right. <laughs> okay. But season two is is really all about taking it to the next level. We're upping our episodes, we're upping our guests, we're upping our song list. So you threw it in again. Take it to the limit. Yeah. And okay. of course, David Wilson is going to be on season two. I will say that you also own world's best wine clubs. I have been thinking long and hard about a subject that I am going to do a a very extensive, at least one show, maybe two or three shows on. It has to do with wine classifications, okay? Okay. Now, mostly when we say wine classification, your mind automatically goes to varietals or it might go to regions, right? Vintage. Styles of winemaking, oaked, you know, whatever. Appellation. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So when we think about classifications of wine, that's where we go. I... I'm troubled, mm-hmm. but you knew that. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm troubled that a lot of people are not coming to terms with the fact that the real thing that we should be most concerned about with classification is how big and how handmade mm-hmm. or machine-made right. a, a wine is. And so many people are being fooled today by big retailers, and I'm not knocking it, please, by the way, but they are getting fooled into believing that a wine that came out of a tanker truck is really made by a little mom-and-pop boutique winery. It's an interesting classification because, as you pointed out, the vast majority of the wine that's consumed in the United States in this day and age is produced by large, multi-million case, multi-million dollar it's producers. It's machine-picked in most cases. Right. Very little hands-on work. It's mainly stored in tanks. It is formulaic and it is based on recipes. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. because That's the point. It's still wine. If people are going to drink it and people are going to enjoy it, it's a great way to do it. Now, is it complex? And you and I are in elite company. Let's let's face it. You know, we are experienced winos. We like our drink. We know our wines. So we may be looking for the backstory behind the wines. But the vast majority of drinkers out there are going to their local supermarket or the Walmart or wherever wine is available to exactly. them. And they're looking at the label. They're looking at the price point. They're looking at, you know, what they've bought before and like. You know, as long as people are drinking wine, I have no problems with that. It's a great entry point, And I've... You know, I've had on the founders of Barefoot and they're wonderful people. The Gallo folks, if it weren't for the folks at Gallo, who probably the original mass producers of wine, mm-hmm. so much of the great technology and techniques for winemaking that have made wine better over the years wouldn't exist. Oh, amen. You know, and because these are great people who run a great, honest, decent corporation that makes really approachable wines for people who can't spend, you know, more than six bucks a bottle. But they also have their high-end brands as well, which a lot of people don't realize. Exactly. And you look at a lot of the wineries that participated 
in that 76 Judgment of Paris, they have gone on to become some of those larger producers. Exactly. And they're still maintaining that level of quality. Now, the big concern for a lot of people is when these larger wineries that are still being run, managed by an individual, the founder, gets bought out by a Constellation Brands or Gallo yeah. or whatnot. That's where things can become iffy because what you're doing is you're taking the original special sauce that made that wine so great and you're losing that. What we're going to do is we're going to come back and you're going to be a part of this show and we're going to break it down for people. We're going to start with the really massive brands, yep. the ones that are making millions of gallons of wine. And then we get a little bit smaller, but not by much. And those are the Kendall Jacksons of the world, sure. and Robert Mondavi's, but they're not craft wines mm-hmm. anymore. But they're still, you know, a lot of these companies, they make these wines. Many or most, if not all the grapes are organic that go into them these days. They have great practices in business. And then we get smaller and we get into more like the 50,000 case range, which you were telling me earlier is what the government calls a small winery, which try putting 50,000 cases in your living room and bedroom and kitchen and garage. Can't do it. Yeah, I was going to say, talk to most individual winemakers up and down California about making 50,000 cases and they'll scoff at you. They can barely handle 5,000 in a lot of their facilities. I mean, I have an awful lot of friends who make 200 cases of this and 1,000 cases of that. So we're going to break it down for you later, but I just want to raise awareness about this because it is a topic that has been really badly neglected by those of us who do wine media. And I think it's going to be helpful to you because what you're going to find out, I think, you're going to come away from this discussion seeing that there is wine that is handcrafted product and there is wine that is a beverage. You know, just like Pepsi, just like Coke. And you know what? Pepsi and Coke are great products. It's true. But they're beverages. And what we're going to do is try to break this apart in a more meaningful way so that you can understand just where corporate America ends and mom and pop begin. Yeah, I would say as the other way around. Right. I'd say as a quick homework assignment to your listeners, what's a great fun thing to do is go to supermarket, grab a bottle from the bottom shelf, lower shelf, middle shelf, upper shelf, do a blind tasting, see what people think and uh, which of those they like. Okay, I think so, you'll be surprised. So, so let's do this. Okay. We'll come back in a few weeks. Perfect. You're going to hand me your take on classifications and I'm going to show you mine. Uh, oh, okay. Whoa. All yeah. right. No, I mean classifications. I mean, oh, right. no, I was going to okay, say I'm no. going to have to groom. I'm no, going to no, have no, to No, 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 okay, no, no, gotcha. no, 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 no. Family show. But we're going to do that and then we're going to really build some meaning into this for people. Okay. I like it. Let's create a whole new category. So now that you you got, you know, things all steamed up with the grooming and all that, we're going to get on the line right now. Coming up next, it is the author of the new book, Eat Cake Naked. She has so many books on aphrodisiac properties in food and wine, and she is so awesome, and she is so talented, and she really is a big deal in this category. So it's about time we bring back on Amy Riley. And uh, for those of you looking for Chris, The Forgotten Grape, uh, you can Google that, World's Best Wine Clubs, and one bourbon, one shard, one beer. On Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Christopher Kern. My pleasure, David. Thank you You so much. You know what? Better yet, just Google Christopher Kern. That'll work, too. He likes it, but he's ticklish. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second.
Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and oh my gosh, it has been way too long since we have had my next guest on, Amy Riley. She is the world's most renowned expert on the aphrodisiac properties in wine and food. She's got a brand new book out called Eat Cake Naked. And are you, well, I I have to ask the question, are you sitting there with a piece of cake? cake is in the other room at this point. I've probably indulged a little too much testing recipes for this book, and that's how much I like these recipes. Typically, uh, there's been pretty much a piece of cake every day for the past six months. Why are your books always so racy? I just, you know, because well, you... What do you because, want them well, to be? Because you, because you are so the girl next door, and I picture you now with your little stroller out with all the other ladies in the park and watching the kids on the merry-go-round, and it just, if, if somebody said, okay, point to the woman who wrote the, the book, Eat Cake naked, they would never point at you. No, that they, they, makes it, they that wouldn't. Makes, that adds mystery to the whole thing, right? Oh. It makes it all that much more exciting. And believe me, if I didn't have books like this and take my own advice, I don't think I would survive the toddlerhood of my two children. What ages are we at now? We're at five and two. So what was the impetus for doing a book on cake? Because you've done books on aphrodisiac qualities and foods and wine, but, you know, cake seems to be, uh, you know, it's a sidebar. In my life, dessert is not a sidebar. So that was, you know, okay. so right there is, is impetus enough, I think. The book is actually, the subtitle of the book is Aphrodisiac Desserts to Heat Up Your Love Life. So obviously it's still in the same aphrodisiac vein. Dessert is my favorite part of the meal. Sort of when we talk about aphrodisiacs, it's often the neglected part of the meal. I wanted to focus on it for a while. And the fun thing was with this book, I have a co-author who is a nutrition expert. Also happens to have co-hosted a show called The Sensual Vegan with Pamela Anderson. So she knows quite a bit about aphrodisiacs as well. And so it was a, you know, it was a perfect marriage. But we got to sort of make desserts that were kind of more nutritious. They're not, like, I don't want to say they're healthy desserts because they're not. But they actually have a nutritious component that's going to, like, make your love life that much better. Okay, and it was so- really fun to do and now I don't feel guilty when I eat my dessert. Okay, so give me an example of how a dessert can be both delicious and nutritious. Well, for example, our browning recipe, instead of using white flour, we put in chickpea flour. You're getting a little protein, a little fiber, and then that just automatically makes them gluten-free. Plus, we put in walnuts and we put in dried cherries. So they have a little bit more to offer than just cocoa powder, white flour, sugar. What is chickpea? I've seen it in the market. I've never purchased a package of it and I've never tried to cook with it. I, I just actually looked at it and thought, well, that's garbanzo beans. I mean, I love garbanzo beans, but... There's actually a wine connection to why I even tried using chickpea flour, which is Lisa Peju of Peju Winery gave me this bag of chickpea flour and said, you've got to try using this. And I was like, what can I use it in? And I just thought, you know what? There's no reason you can't use it in brownies because I'd seen brownie recipes with beans in them before. And I thought, this is kind of perfect. And guess what? It really was perfect. Let's back up a little bit and uh, talk a little bit more about Lisa Peju. One of my fondest dessert memories of all time. (laughs) 
involves you and Lisa Peju. For those who may not be familiar with the Peju Province Winery in the Napa Valley, it is one of the best. It's not only one of the best from a wine standpoint, but also from a visitation standpoint because they've got this massive art collection there that's just to die for. But Lisa is just one of the most vivacious people you'll ever meet. So she brings over one of the delicious Peju Cabernet Sauvignons. I can recommend Peju wines all day long. You were making little chocolate bundt cakes in your test kitchen. So I came over to the test kitchen. I was shocked that Lisa Peju was there. I'd never met her before, but big fan of the Peju wines for my whole adult life. That turned out to be a real exciting day, except something went wrong with the bundt cakes. Do you remember? I kind of feel like they were undercooked or something. Like they, I feel like they slid off the pan, like yes. melted. Out. Yeah, they slid off they, the pan and kind of they collapsed. Were, they were just liquid bundt cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they were delicious. <laughs> And then you guys whipped up some whipped cream. And then you guys started feeding me this stuff while we're, <laughs> we're drinking. Well, we, we started off with bubbly. And then we wandered over into the Cabernet, which I thought actually paired really nice with chocolate. You know, I, mean, I with do the chocolate remember dessert. everything being quite delicious together. What did we have for bubbly? I don't remember. Gosh. I, I was fixated on the Peju. The Peju and the chocolate cake, yeah. yeah and, and, and you two, as a matter of fact, because you, <laughs> you, you, were, you, you were both so fetching and fun. And uh, that, that was one of the most fun days of my life. And uh, oh, again, awesome. if, 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 you, if you just tuned in, by the way, we're, we're talking to Amy Riley. She is the author of so many books. And let's see. Let's go down the books. They, they have suggested titles, some, <laughs> some of them. But we've got Eat Cake Naked, Fork Me, Spoon Me, the original book. Yep. And I'm missing the one in the middle. Romancing the Stove. Romancing the Stove. Exactly. It's the more innocent book. It's got its um, sexy side, though. Does the dessert book talk wine at all? The dessert book, we use champagne in a recipe, and we t- discuss why champagne is We have kind of a list of aphrodisiacs that are great in baking and talk about champagne both as a beverage to go with your dessert and as well as a beverage to cook with. So we don't kind of dive too deeply into wine. And when I say champagne, I also mean sparkling wine, I should sure, clarify. Yeah. So what is it that sparkling wine does to a baking recipe? Conventional wisdom would say it makes it more light and airy. I can see why you would think that. Not really. I mean, it, you know, really. it's, it's another it's another form of moisture, and it also is an acid. So, you know, it can be quite interesting. We use it in a muffin recipe in this book. And then, of course, you know, in in um, Kiss My Bunt, the Bunt Cake book that I published, uh, there's a straight-up champagne-flavored cake that's amazing. I mean, it tastes like you're kind of eating champagne. So champagne can work beautifully in dessert. I can definitely see that. I've never tried it. So do you just substitute out water? Is that what you do? Well, yeah, whatever liquid you would normally be using, be it milk or water or what, you know, whatever it is, but, champagne. But one thing that, uh, you know, right here and now we have to stress the most important point when it comes to cooking with wine. If the wine is bad, it's going to ruin the food you're cooking. Don't use bad wine, right? Well, you have to, you know, you have to choose something that you're going to drink because generally you don't use an entire bottle in the recipe and therefore you're going to have to drink the rest while you wait for whatever it is to bake. But you know what I'm talking about? it's got to be something good enough that you'd want to sit and drink it. But you know what I'm talking about is people, oh, no, people will have a, a yeah. bottle of wine and it'll turn and they, they just can't stand the idea of throwing away, you know, $30, $40 worth of wine. So it sits on the sink for six weeks. And now it's really bad. It's worse than the oil after your oil change. And it's so terrible. And yet people will take that and they will cook with it. And then they wonder why their dish turned out lousy. Garbage in, I, I will tell you, out. I will admit to one thing. If I have a bottle that's just like close to turning and I don't want to drink it, I will put a cork in it, put it in the fridge, and then I'll use it to like poach chicken. 
aren't you going to get that sort of oxidized flavor in the in the chicken, or is that okay? No, I mean, I, I well, if it, no, it's not. I wouldn't use a wine that that's that's that far gone. But you know, something that's like just close enough to being on the turn that I don't want to drink oh, okay. it, but it okay. you know still okay. has merit. It's it's an acid. It's you know it's the acidity. It's no, it doesn't it doesn't make your chicken taste oxidized. All right, we're gonna <laughs> take a little break here. We're talking to Amy Riley. She yeah. is the author of Eat Cake Naked, which I I don't do because I'm I'm shy. I'm shy. I would have, I, I, I would have cupcakes all over certain parts of my body. I, I, I just wouldn't want to. No, I, 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 I'm getting too old to show it off. I guess, except that you know, if you go go to places in Europe, they're like 90 years old out on the the, the beaches where you know that are clothing optional. They might need a few cupcakes. <laughs> they might need. You should sell cupcakes there. Cover up. Yes. Cover up cakes. Cover up cakes. <laughs> I like it. Okay, we'll be back with more grape encounters right after this. People sometimes say it's the wine talking. Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. <laughs> David will uncork today's story after this. is 100% estate-grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. Committed to uncorking a new wine story every day is your host, David Wilson. Hey, back with Grape Encounters Radio and one of my all-time favorite guests. I guess if I had to pick my three to five favorite guests out of literally thousands now that we've had on the show, Amy would be up there in the top. Let's let's say five because I don't want to uh, leave anybody out that's really significant. You know how much I love you, right? Wow, top Five. Top five. <laughs> you know, there's some big names on that list, Amy. I realize that. I'm very flattered that I'm top five. Well, I'm the only one who comes on to talk about sex. Well, that's <laughs> not true. Okay. Uh, but you are the only person who has ever invited me to the super secret test kitchen. Oh, and yeah. that, that got you that got you points, and then you brought uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa Peugeot along, and that got you double points. And the food was good, too. And the wines were good. I don't know if you know this, but I didn't go home after I left your house. I just sat on the street corner for about three hours. Oh, I thought you were going to say you, you got in the back no. of your car, car and curled up and took well, a nap. Well, you know, I do yeah. not, do not, do not drink and drive, period. No. It is no. absolutely against my religion. Won't do it. Can't do it. But uh, let's talk about, though, uh, that night that you're sitting at home with the one you love or maybe the one you want to love. And all of the study that you have done, you know, on the subject of both aphrodisiac qualities in wine and food. I mean, you started this, now it's got to go way back, right? Gosh, well, about almost 15 years. Was there one single episode in your life that mm-hmm. got you interested in how this actually physically works? And, and there's science behind this, lots of it, right? Yes. I love how, you you know, with this topic, you kind of have to tiptoe around. So how do you get interested in food and sex? I've always been interested in wine and the nutrition side of food. I also happen to like folklore and Greek mythology. And this sort of was a topic that kind of encompassed everything that I like. Uh, when I started researching and writing about aphrodisiacs, I started actually as a, as a freelance writer writing about it. And there was very, very little from a food perspective, very little information. There were some scientific studies, and there have been many, many more since. People are much more interested in this topic now, which is so exciting. And there was, you know, in- information, obviously, from an anthropological perspective. 
the research was challenging and difficult and exciting, and um, I just fell in love with it. So speaking from the standpoint of wine for a second, you know, we all know that, you know, when you sit down with a bottle of wine, it does, in fact, you know, and it has to do with the alcohol, but it does, in fact, lower inhibitions. It loosens us up. People right. come home, and, and not because they want to have a romantic evening, but people come home from work, and they pour a glass of wine as a way to, you know, get into a different headspace. Yeah. And, and and really enjoy it because there's not just the, the pleasure that comes from a little bit of alcohol, but also just the pleasure that comes from the wine that, you know, makes you feel good and makes you feel happy. When do you think we as a, as a human population first discovered that wine had aphrodisiac qualities that go beyond just the obvious, the alcohol. I think people picked up on that real fast. The slant I take on aphrodisiacs in general, and it applies to wine or anything, is that if you look at most of these cultures that used food as an, or wine or whatever, you know, as an aphrodisiac, people didn't have a lot of food. In fact, a lot of people were starving. And so for them to kind of treat food in this way and reserve it for special things or, or, or wine or, you know, whichever it is, they clearly saw, you know, they, they observed the effects. They also had much slower lives. They had, they weren't on their phone all the time or staring at a television or, you know, driving their car in traffic. They actually had time to make greater observations about what was going on in their lives and in their bodies and, and taking note of these things. And I, I think that they very quickly realized what things worked in what way for them, they kind of reserved special things like wine for that, for its abilities. So they're just watching, and then all of a sudden, a couple of Greeks or Romans are sitting around going, wow, look at Odysseus. Odysseus uh -huh. looks so virile today. Yeah. What is going on with him? <laughs> and, and then somebody else says, well, you know, he went to ye old wine shop last night. What did he buy? <laughs> what, what, what were the grapes that were getting him excited? Right, exactly. No, I mean, there really, there was much more observation and healers and medicine men and whatever, you know, they, there, was, there was a great deal of observation of how things in the natural world could affect you in a positive or negative way. And that's why, you know, I think there is so much validity to historically the things that are aphrodisiac. And we're finding out now that a lot of it is nutrition. And for example, with wine, it, you know, everyone says it's red wine in particular is heart healthy. Well, guess what? What's good for your heart is also great for your sex life. Anything that's, that's labeled as heart healthy, also really good for your libido. And I don't know why, but there are still people out there in the research world that are doing their darndest to try to disprove the notion that <laughs> that red wine especially <laughs> is healthy. I mean, there are the naysayers for sure. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and they go at it with a passion. And no matter how many times they're proven wrong, they still go at it. Who are those people? I'll tell you what, they've got... They're not really having much fun at home. I'm no, telling you they're that. Not. They're, they're not. Really In your opinion, why is it that there are all these people out there that want to turn wine into a bad thing? Have you come across them? Have you gotten letters from people saying, oh, you're full of bullpucky? I mean, I, I hear that all every day from my children. No, I, fortunately, I have not. But I do know, you know, that there are naysayers out there. And I think there are people who sit at home and don't have a lot of fun. And they probably do not drink wine either. I, I'm just, uh, I'm just saying. Not. I mean, yeah. how could you be a wine drinker and you know sit and enjoy a great bottle of wine, you know, on a regular basis, and then go, you know what? I'm going to do some research that disproves that wine is good for you, just because I don't want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be miserable. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Well, Amy Riley, you do everything in your power 
to make people not miserable. And I think that the, right. the service that you provide is cool. I wish we were a food and wine show just from the standpoint that we, we could focus on food a little bit more, but I don't think that any place that there's wine, there necessarily is any absence of food because they are inexplicably tied at the hip. Absolutely, as they should be. Although I will say this, that, and you know this about me, I, I have this concept, I call it uh, prima facie wine, which is a Latin term that means on face value. And I like certain wines on face value, meaning they don't need anything else to make them delicious. You could just sit there and just drink it. I mean, I, right. I think it, it's safe to say that a, a glass of bubbly really oftentimes fills that bill. You can just sit there, enjoy it. You don't need anything else, and it's great. Drop a strawberry in it. It's just better. So Well, then you just added food. So. Uh, yeah, well, I know. I, I'm just saying. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, but, it's good, but it's good as it is. Okay, okay so, so Valentine's Day is right around the corner, Amy. What do you recommend? Throw out a cup. we got one minute. Yeah. One minute of Valentine's tips, both wine and food. Yeah. And I know this is your specialty and that it's the busiest couple of days of your life before Valentine's Day because everybody, media across the country, always want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. But I got you first. I think you I did. did. I got you second, first this year. But yes. Oh, I got you second. Okay. <laughs> Throw a few things out. So first of all, consider what you're, the one you love or the one you hope will love you back would like and pick out that very special bottle of wine that they want to drink. Not your favorite, but consider, you know, what they're, what's going to romance them. And definitely, I like to start with the wine and work on from there. If you're going to cook a meal, make it something very simple. You don't need to, you don't want to waste your energy sweating over the stove. Uh, you want to spend it in other more fruitful ways. Would a lobster tail be considered heavy or light? And would it be no, no. considered simple? I mean, if you are, well, if you're good at cooking lobster, don't do it for the first time. Yeah. You know, but if you're good at cooking lobster, yes, that's a quite lovely, simple thing that is, it's a, it's a more lean source of protein, and um, yeah, that would be a beautiful choice. Absolutely. How about, uh, how about some oysters? Oysters are great if the person you're romancing is into oysters. Oh, they are. Okay, well, then no. you're going to have a really nice night. No, you, actually, your oysters, no, my, a bottle my, of bubbly. My, my wife doesn't like oysters. Oh, I, I, no. I, I well, just made that up, and I, I, uh, there's no converting her. She doesn't like no, She don't like no, raw absolutely. things. No, yeah, nope, yeah. nope, 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 nope. As far as the wine is concerned, I, I want to step back for one second because I know... The, the big reds, the, the, the big, dry, sweaty reds that have those uh, pheromones in it are important. For the women, I know you like um, Rieslings, right? Rieslings yes, are big. I do. Rieslings and bubbly, and they have the same effect. So you might want to get the one you love, uh, a Riesling. That is true, and and not necessarily like a, a sweet Riesling, but a dry Riesling and, and ones that have kind of those oily qualities. Oh, so good. Ger- so, German that, style with the, with sort of the petrol nose, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. petrol That's nose. sexy nose. And if, and if, you don't, if you don't know what that means, you can ask you know, a competent wine dealer, and, and they will point one out for you. Okay? Yes. Hang with me for just a second. We're going to come back and wrap it up. But we are talking to Amy Riley. Hey, Amy, the website is thelifeofriley.com, right? Well, you can just go straight to eatcakenaked.com if you're hungering for dessert. But what if I'm hungering for all things Amy Riley? Oh, well, um, yes, Life of Riley. Well, actually, you know where the best place to go is eatsomethingsexy.com. Okay, eatsomethingsexy.com. You have so many things. I want to (laughs) know more about some of the other things that you're working on. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this.
Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California. We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. Every time we talk about today's subject, the subject we're talking about right now, I'll tell you what, I get more downloads from people who heard the show on the radio but needed to go home and play it for somebody. The subject of the aphrodisiac qualities in wine and food and the expert across the universe is Amy Riley. She's written several books on the topic. We're talking about the aphrodisiac qualities, Amy, a minute ago in wine, but we really didn't focus on how do it work. You know, how does it work? Now, now I get the part with food that anything that is heart healthy is going to make you more virile and your performance in all things is going to be better. But specifically, and you know, we've talked about this over the years, but for those who have not heard this conversation before, what are some of the ingredients that we're going to find in, let's start with wine, that are obvious contributors to that sexiness? Actually, one of my favorite things to talk about is the research of Dr. Max Lake, who was both a a physician and a vintner in Australia, passed away a few years ago, but he studied the scent of different wines and found that the scent of of many wines would actually replicate the scent of human pheromones, and therefore just swirling your wine in your glass can be a turn-on. In particular, ones with sort of feminine pheromone notes were our Blanc de Blanc champagnes, some white burgundies. Those kind of wines sort of have a note that can really replicate a female pheromone. And then those really musky, masculine, you'll find it in some Oregon Pinots, you'll find this, or Napa Cabs or Cab Blends, find those musky, masculine, tobacco, sweaty kind of smells. Those replicate male pheromones. For me, then, I'm a little worried because I like those big, musky Wines. Yep, that's the funny thing. So, the men get turned on by the masculine pheromones, and the women tend to get turned on by the feminine pheromones. I didn't say I get turned on by them. I oh, did not say you that. You just said, I, you know, I just described this, and you said, no. well, I really like those musky red wines. No, mm-hmm. I didn't say that. You know, and it's okay <laughs> if you do, but I was just saying that I like those big red wines. and that. Uh, no, it's just the opposite. That's what, that's what kind of turns men on. Apparently, we all like our own smell best. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what turns oh. Yeah, men are attracted to those. And it's funny because men tend to be the people who are attracted to those big, like masculine, burly, tobacco-y, leathery, manly red wines. Well, it smells like a man. Do you ever like, you know, you've got out of the shower, you're all cleaned up, you're really smelling good, you get shampoo, you did the whole thing, and I'll just sort of smell my arm. Do you ever do that? Well, I actually prefer unscented soaps and lotions. I could go for a good coconut conditioner because it makes me feel like I'm on a beach somewhere tropical. But other than that, no, no scent. No, I'm an arm sniffer. 
I admit it. Well, yeah, I sniff my own arm, and if it's if, if it's nice, it's good. By the way, if, if you ever really want to understand tannins, just put your finger on the, the tip of your secret deodorant and touch it to your tongue, and you will understand tannins like oh. never before. Did you know that? Oh, that, that hurts. No, I have never heard that before, but Try it hurts it. thinking about Try it. Try it. It's, <sighs> it. It works. Usually the, the ingredient, I think, is aluminum chlorhydrate. It's not going right. to kill you at all. It's just going to make your tongue do that thing, you know? I understand tannin well enough. Thank you. <laughs> but what if you want to teach it and you want to you want to really get somebody to understand it really super fast? Just use oh. use use my technique. It works. Oh. Oh. Why, why are you being close-minded, Amy? I'm not being close-minded. It just sounds like I, I really hate the feeling of tannin, so just that just sounds like a form of torture. <laughs> you know what? I guarantee you. Hey, listeners, just do me a favor, okay? I want you to go to grapeencountersradio.com and just send me a note or you go to our Facebook page, whatever. I want you to just write down, she will or she won't, meaning that she will actually do this even though she's pretending to be put off by it, but she's going to taste her deodorant in the next week, I swear. She will. Probably tomorrow. You know, I want them to go to grapeencountersradio.com and send you pictures of themselves as they taste their deodorant. No, that's an invasion of privacy. But, but if you'd like to, that's fine. Okay. Oh, I, I, yeah. I know. Make sure so to wrap it's a, in a this, is, this is the torture you put me through, Yeah, family show. And it's not torture. It's, it's very, it, it, it really explains things, okay? You're going to have the same reaction if you do, you use a uh, underripe persimmon. Right. right. Well, that's also torture. So just a couple minutes left. For people who want to get, you know, the whole skinny on this concept of making what you consume, both wine and food, more sexy, the thing about it is, is that I've read the books and it's easily done. They're small tweaks, really, and Mm -hmm. just avoiding certain things and incorporating other things. You've got a list on your website, a gigantic list of all the ingredients that you can put in food that are aphrodisiac in nature. Yeah, we have at eatsomethingsexy.com, we have an amazing list of ingredients that are aphrodisiac and explain historically why they're aphrodisiac and either nutritionally or scientifically, you know, how it is that they that they actually can affect you. It's, it's pretty fun. You know what I've noticed? A lot of those ingredients are Italian. You know, they're used mm. in Italian cooking. And you, you know how, how incredibly sexy Italians are, right? Oh, you yeah. You know, me, I'm incredibly half sexy because I'm half <laughs> Italian. I'm not going to say whether it's the top or the bottom. Which half, yeah. No, I'm not saying. <laughs> but things like basil, right? Oh, yes. Basil and chili, asparagus, yeah. Yeah. And olives, I mean, it's all there. Olives, tomatoes, of course, tomatoes. Tomatoes. What is it in, in the tomato that is aphrodisiac? Well, among other things, and you know, rather, than, I don't want to get into a whole nutrition lesson, but the lycopene in tomatoes is, is also is going to help support not only your overall health, but it's going to help support your sexual health. And all fruits have lots of fiber and water, and these things, believe it or not, fiber and water are critically important to your sex life. Most people don't think about it, but... They are. I hadn't hadn't realized that. Uh, but but anyway, uh, but then the other thing is just the when it comes to food, when you start eating heavy things, as I recall, really high in fat and really heavy on the stomach, you're going to definitely not feel sexy, and right. you're going to feel like a slug instead. Right. Unfortunately, it, it, yes. Because of the um, way that it works on your body. But is that a true? Yeah. Is that now? Are we talking true Afro? That's sort of the anti aphrodisiac. Right. right. Yes. You don't want to serve a steak or a big bowl of ice cream on Valentine's Day if your hope is to make the evening turn into a very special and unforgettable night. Those foods will 
put you into a very deep sleep probably before they, you know, inspire you to head to the bedroom. Well, they would inspire you to head to the bedroom to sleep. All right. uh, Last time for a plug. If they want more information on the books, uh, best place to go is? To get more information about aphrodisiacs, um, eatsomethingsexy.com. If they want to check out my newest book, it's Eat Cake Naked, which is eatcakenaked.com. If it worked for Amy, it'll work for you. Hey, Amy, it's so nice to talk to you. I swear. It's been so long, and I'm, I'm so proud of you and all the great work you're doing, and proud to call you my friend. Oh, thank you so much, and it's so nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Okay. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, yeah, same to you. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio for this week. Eat something sexy, gang, you know, and, um, and have some fun. Life was meant to be enjoyed, and uh, nobody can help you do that, I think, better than Amy and me. It's not Amy and I. It's Amy and me. Anyway, we'll we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 